This is Crossroads with Clayton King. This is a really special message in my own heart. It's a message I preached at my church, New Spring, just recently about the issue of generosity. You know, it's really not about God getting the money out of our pockets. Generosity is about God getting the greed out of our hearts. It's more than money that God cares about. He cares about our affection for Him. Also, our willingness to obey when the Holy Spirit spurs us on to do something that may seem extravagant or out of the ordinary. That's what the Macedonians did, and that's what we're going to look at right now. I hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to be in the Bible, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You can go ahead and find your place there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're talking about overflow and how to live in an everyday overflow relationship with Jesus. I want to read the scripture to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but I have to give you 30 seconds worth of historical context. The writer of these words is somebody that we're probably familiar with, the Apostle Paul. He is writing a letter to a church in Corinth. Corinth is a real place. I've been there twice. Corinth was a well-off city. When I say well-off, I mean financially. It was a town that was built on a harbor. It was a town that was made rich because of its trade. It was right on the Aegean Sea. And the Christians in Corinth had made a promise to Paul that they were gonna take up an offering and they were gonna give that offering to Paul or specifically to Titus, Paul's assistant, so that the Christian believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted could have their needs met. So Corinth is in Greece. Jerusalem, of course, is in Israel. My wife and I were there just a few days ago, actually, in Jerusalem. The believers there had some very specific needs. Paul writes to the church in Corinth to remind them that they have not yet made good on their promise. And then he uses another church, the Macedonian church, as an example of everyday overflow. He shows the Corinthians, hey, you guys have plenty of supply and even some extra. You got surplus. You made a promise to give and you haven't given yet. The Christian believers in Jerusalem need your help, but the Macedonians who aren't nearly as well off as you, they begged us for the privilege of giving out of their extreme poverty, welled up rich generosity. With that context, let's read the scriptures together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Here's what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial, brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And I can testify, I love it when Paul does this, that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, 
in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this as a command, rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, he, you might become rich. And in this manner, I am giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Verse 11, now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. Verse 14, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. Let's stop right there for the moment. I wish I could keep going, but I don't have time. Giving is a grace that God gives to all of us. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. I didn't understand this for a long time. I grew up and I thought, well, only certain people have the gift of giving. And in my mind, it was always rich people. Well, rich people have money, so rich people can give. But that's not what this passage teaches us. Every believer is given the gift of grace to give to others. It's not just reserved for a select few. It's really easy for us to think, well, I don't have a whole lot of money, so I can't give. That's not my gift. My gift is hospitality, or my gift is uh, encouragement, or, or my gift is uh, you know, physical acts of love and service. And those are all amazing gifts. And our church utilizes every one of those gifts. We do every single Sunday. If somebody helped greet you in the parking lot, that's a gift of grace. Someone held the door for you when you walked in, that's a gift of grace. Someone led worship at your campus today on a stage, that's a gift of grace. But don't listen. Do do not let yourself off the hook by saying, well, I don't have a lot of money, so giving cannot be my gift. No, no, no. God's grace has appeared to all of us. And I wanna clear myself out of spot here if that's okay. Every one of us has been given the gift of salvation. Every one of us has received grace, but God doesn't give us grace so we can hoard the grace. God gives us grace so that we can help others with what we've been given. That's what he gives us grace for. So if you've got a dollar or a million dollars, you can give. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. That's what it's about. Church, we're all the body of Christ. And if every member of this body gave like they had received, we would be able to exponentially build the kingdom. 
Paul, a Jewish Christian, is writing a letter to the Corinthians who are Gentile Christians. And he's saying, you promised money for the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and you're a Gentile. Let me show you how another Gentile congregation in Macedonia gave. Do you see Jew, Gentile, they're all one body. And Paul expected all of them to pull together to help the believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. I've said it before, we'll say it again over and over again. We want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed and the kingdom of God to grow and the name of Jesus to be famous. And it only works when all of us pull together and we give from the grace we've received. That's how it works. That's how it works. Well, three of y'all wanna clap because you're Pentecostal. Okay, let's go, let's go. I'm down with that. I'm down for that. Number two, if you can't give when you have a little, you'll never give when you have a lot. I do wanna spend just a minute here because this is the way I have thought about giving and generosity so often in my life. I've thought to myself, I can remember being in college. You know, there's broke and there's college broke. College broke is a special kind of anointing for poverty. And I remember it, man, I used to, I used to, I was real bad. I was so broke in college. I would go, I would just make rounds in the dorm at night to see who had food. I was so broke. And my thought was, one of these days I'm gonna have money. One of these days I'm gonna have some money in the bank and I cannot wait to give. This is how the devil has kept some of y'all under a financial curse. Because you have believed the lie from Satan. You can't afford to give right now. One day you'll be able to give. You don't have enough money to tithe right now. That means 10% of your income, one-tenth, tithe, one-tenth, the first and the best. One day you'll be able to give. But for now, just give $20 here and there. Just drop a 10 in the plate. For some of you, giving $10 is way more than other people that give $10,000. Again, it's not the amount, it's the attitude. But I want you to know that the Macedonian Christians in places like Philippi and Berea, and Thessalonica, they didn't, as my dad used to say, they didn't have two nickels to rub together, but they begged Paul, please, please, please. We know we don't have much, but we want to give to those Christians who are being persecuted by the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Will you please let us give, please, please? Man, what if that was our attitude? A lot of us think, well, one day I'll have money, I'll give then. No, you won't. If you can't give when you have a little, you won't give when you have a lot. And here's why. Because there is this thing that Jesus mentioned in the gospels called mammon. And it's more than just money. It's a system of greed built around thinking that money will give you security. And when you give when you've got a little and you begin the discipline and the joy of giving, then when you finally one day do have a lot, the discipline will already be established. But if you wait until you've got expendable income, if you wait until you have margin, if you wait until you've hit that magic number. You've got this exact amount in the checking account you've always wanted to have. You've now funded fully your kid's college education. You've got your Roth IRA and your 401k and they're fully funded. And a lot of us think if I get to that point in life, then I'll start giving. Well, first of all, you might be dead before you ever get there. So if that's your attitude, you may not ever give anything. Second of all, know this, money has a way of controlling people. It's easier to give when you don't have much than it is to give when you have a lot. Because mammon or money and the security that you think it will buy you has a way of gripping your soul with greed saying, well, just hang on to it. It's yours, you worked hard for it, you deserve it. Well, ma'am, sir, can I tell you? I love you, so I'm gonna tell you the truth. It's not yours, it's God's. 
Every single last penny of it is God's. And God doesn't want your money, God wants your heart. Because if God's got your heart, he's got the rest of you. So I want you to understand this. Giving is a gift of grace that everybody has. And you don't have to wait until you've got plenty of money saved up to begin giving. And that is why Paul told the Corinthians, look at the Macedonians. That's, that's who I want you to be like. They gave out of their poverty. So here's a question I've had to ask myself. <laughs> am I a Corinthian giver or am I a Macedonian giver? Can I ask you that question, New Spring? Do you give like a Corinthian? You have really good ideas, really good intentions. You promise that you'll do it. You hear a message on tithing or a message on giving or a message on giving away a car or giving away that spare bedroom and letting somebody move into your house with you or, or giving a specific amount to a specific offering or a, whatever. And, and you know you should do it, but you make up reasons and you find reasons to wait. If that's you, you're a Corinthian giver. You know what I'm praying? God, make me a Macedonian. Make me a Macedonian. I don't wanna have to be begged. I don't wanna have to be cajoled. I don't wanna have to be manipulated. Jesus doesn't want our money. He wants our devotion. He wants our love. He wants our hearts. So give now. Don't wait until you got a lot because you'll never give if you wait until you got a lot. My whole entire life from age 14 till now has been ministry. And I found myself both as a pastor and as an evangelist and as um, a leader of a nonprofit ministry, I have found myself over the years praying this prayer, God, send someone to help me. Send someone to help us. Send somebody to write us a check. Send us some donors. Just send somebody to help us. What happens when we flip that prayer upside down? Individually, when you stop praying, God, send someone to help me, and you start praying, God, send me to help someone. I promise God will give you more, more than you could ever imagine, but not to hoard, to help. Don't wait until you got a lot to give to start giving. Live in overflow right now, right where you are and watch God use you to help somebody else. And this is why generosity is so important, church, because our generosity prepares the way for kingdom growth. Our generosity does that. When we give, when we tithe, when we serve, our generosity is what allows the kingdom of God to grow. In verse 11, Paul literally says, now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Our intentions don't build the kingdom of God, church. Our actions do. We all have good intentions, don't we? Oh, I could go down the list. You intend to lose some weight. You intend to stop drinking soda. You intend to go to church more regularly. I intend to be nicer to my wife or nicer to my kids. I intend to stop speeding. That's confessional. Um, I, we all have good intentions. But nobody comes to Christ because we have an intention to do something good. People come to Christ and lives are changed and the kingdom is built and the gospel is proclaimed and debt is paid off and churches are planted when people put actions behind their intentions. Paul is saying to them, you promised this. I didn't beg you, Corinth. I didn't beg you to give this money. You asked me if you could. You said you'd send it. Now, I know your intentions were good. Let's finish the job. Let's get this thing done. We gotta wrap this thing up because there are believers in Jerusalem who are waiting on us to take care of them. Look at verse 14. 
I'm gonna read it to you again. He says this, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need. What if your surplus, the surplus that you have right now, what if your surplus, the extra, the additional, that pay raise you got, that bonus check, that money that you've had sitting aside, your kids are out of college now, everything's paid off, maybe you're debt free, I don't know. What if your surplus was actually God's supply for someone else? Do I have extra? If I do, God gave it to me as a gift of grace. And now it is my joy to pass that along to sisters and brothers in Christ somewhere who need what I can supply for them. My surplus is God's supply for someone else. Hey, I'll be back in just a minute to finish this important message, but I wanted to tell you about the location of our ministry. We actually produce these messages on the campus of Anderson University in South Carolina. We moved our ministry here in 2014 so that we could host our Crossroads summer camps right here at Anderson. It is the largest private institution in the whole state of South Carolina. It's special to me because my son is a student here. My wife's getting her master's degree here. This is our home. There are 59 major degree programs available at Anderson University. And some of the ones that you might be interested in are Christian studies, kinesiology, graphic design, cybersecurity, biology, and political science. There's also an amazing seminary here called Clamp Divinity School. And it's just really, really special. We'll see 6,100 students attend our Crossroads summer camps here. If you're interested, go to andersonuniversity.edu. That's andersonuniversity.edu. Now back to the message. Jesus shows us generosity and sacrifice. And that's why Paul appeals to the example of Jesus in verse nine. He says, for you know the genuineness of your love, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Where was Jesus rich? He was rich when he was in heaven. He left the riches of heaven and took on the poverty of human flesh, living among broken, sinful people. And for 33 years, living a perfect life, never sinning, going through every temptation we ever went through and never, ever missing the mark. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he died in abject poverty. He died alone. His best friends had abandoned him. Jesus even said about himself, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't even have a bed to lay my head on. Know this, that Jesus gave up all of his riches for the sake of us. Because when Jesus, look, when Jesus died on the cross for you, he also died on the cross as you. It wasn't that he just died for Clayton. When Jesus was crucified on that cross, it was as if Clayton King was hanging there because Jesus took my place. It's a good Bible word. I hope you can remember this. It's it's the word propitiation. He stood in my place. He made up the gap where I could not pay for my own sin. Jesus said, I'll do it. And he did that for every single human being that has ever lived. He gave up his riches to become poor so that we could get the riches of God's grace. Not just so that we could brag about it and say, woo, I'm going to heaven, but so we could help other people go to heaven by giving the grace that God has given us. And sometimes it's a kind word, sometimes it's an encouraging text. Sometimes it's a lunch that you buy for a friend that's in need. And sometimes it's writing that check for that amount of money that God put in your heart and you don't need to delay and figure out the math. You just need to do it, just do it. I'm a testimony to this. 
I am a testimony to this in my own life. That it's not about how you feel. It's about how you follow through. It's not about feeling in the moment like I wanna do something. It's about following through. And here's what Jesus does. He'll tell you to give and then he'll test your faith. And when you pass that test, you'll have a story to tell by the grace of God and for his glory. I'll tell you how this happened in my life. Shari and I had been married for, I don't know, a little over a year. And uh, we had some friends that were missionaries in India. Shari and I have been to India many times and they were coming into town and we were supposed to have lunch with them on a Wednesday afternoon. This was probably, so Tuesday night before lunch with them on Wednesday, I'm sitting at my desk in our house in North Carolina at the time and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that we were supposed to write them a check for $1,000. Now, time out. I wanna make sure y'all understand that this is a confession and a testimony. I did not wanna write that check. I argued with God. I didn't have a lot of money. Shari and I were newlyweds. We had just bought a house. We're about to have a family. And I'm telling you, we didn't have much more than $1,000 in our, in our checking account. So I argued with the Lord. Tuesday night, God, I know you're supposed to know everything, but you obviously don't have the passwords to my checking account because if you did, you could log in and see that if I do that, they're gonna take my house next month because I gotta make a payment to the bank. So if you're gonna tell me to give them $1,000, how about you tell the president of the bank to give me a free house or give me a month where I don't have to pay. And I argued with the Lord and I didn't wanna do it. I was just like a Corinthian. Just wait, God, and I'll do it later. Just wait, God, I was not like a Macedonian at all. So finally, you know how it is when you argue with God, he wins because he's God and you're not. So I wrote the check and I did not do it with joy. I was mad about it. I'm like, here, fine, you can have this check, but you better make it up to me. That was my attitude, so immature. The next morning, Shari went to a women's Bible study and it was about 8.30 in the morning and I decided I'm gonna go for a run because I'm telling you, y'all, I was stressed out. I was worried, like my neck muscles had gotten tight. Some of y'all get that way about money, don't you? You get that way. Some of y'all get that way about your favorite football team. I do too. So I was like, I'm gonna go for a run. I never check the mailbox when I go for a run, ever. I had checked the mail the previous night at like 5.30. Our mail ran at like 3.30, checked the mail at 5.30. There were a couple of things in there. And as I'm leaving my yard to walk down the driveway to make a left down Thor Road to run this two mile loop, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look in the mailbox. So I did, there were two pieces of mail. I opened the first envelope, kid you not. It is a letter from the North Carolina Department of Revenue. And the letter says, dear Mr. King, here is a refund from where you have overpaid your state income taxes for the last five years, 2,700 and something dollars. And I was like, well, that's not bad. Way to go, Lord. And in my mind, I'm thinking, maybe God was just testing me last night and now I've gotten 2.7 times more money back. I was so dumb. There's another piece of mail in the mailbox. I can't, I'm not making this up. I open that one, it's from the IRS. So I'm thinking, oh shoot, they're coming to get me. And I'm thinking I'm in big trouble. I open it up, dear Mr. King, we are sending you a refund from where you have overpaid your estimated taxes for the last five years. Listen to me, church, listen to me. It was exactly to the penny. $10,000 and zero cents. Some of y'all are like, I need to write that check. 
No, the point is not that you give to get. Uh-uh. That's not the heart of, of, of the Bible. It's not the heart of God. We don't give to get, church. We get to give. We get to partner with God. We get to give this grace and watch what God does with it. That's what we get to do. Hey, I hope that that true story encouraged you to be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You never know what He might be working on behind the scenes that you don't see yet. But when He tells you to give, I've learned this over the years, just obey and trust the details to God. Now, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a story that plays out just like the one I just shared. That's actually not the point at all, because that very seldom happens. What we get is an intimacy with God and a level of trust that we could not possibly know without the obedience to do what He says. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.